Hi there, and God bless you. I'm Brian Hallam. I pray that this message is a blessing to you. Thank you for downloading it, and thank you for following me on Twitter and Instagram and for liking and sharing what we post there. I just want you to know that I believe God wants to do something great in your life and in your family. So as we go into the Word today, let's go in with faith and hope and a high level of expectation for what God is going to do in your life. Remain standing just a second. I, I want to preach into your ears this morning along this thought. I want to talk about going all in for God. I, I, I'm not here to, to, to point fingers at anybody and bless God. You know, my fingers would all be pointed back at me. All we're looking at today is the man in the mirror. But there is a big difference between having one foot in and one foot out or going all in for God. The Bible says in Revelations chapter 3, it says this, verse 15, I know your works, that you're neither hot or cold, and I wish you were either hot or cold. I wish you were one or the other. I wish you would have chosen this day whom you would serve. Then verse 16 says, So then because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. I'm not here to scare anybody today, but the Bible has truths in it that can revolutionize not just your eternity, they can revolutionize your entire life. Somebody give God a big hand of praise. (laughs) Slap two people a high five and you can be seated in the presence of God. Going all in for God. Going all in for what He has for your life. Have you ever, like in the middle of August, gone outside and, and, and mowed the yard, cut the grass? And you know what I'm talking about, the middle of August, where you are so hot and so sweaty that every blade of grass that comes out the side of that lawnmower sticks to one of your wet legs. You know what I'm talking about? Gets all over your arms. Then you grab the weed eater and you're doing the edging and you're doing the weed eater. And even if you have safety glasses or sunglasses on, there's no doubt about it, something's going to hit you in the eye. You're going to be blinking. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, I'm so hot. And you finally get done mowing the yard. You finally get done edging everything. You blow off or you sweep off the, the patio, the porch, or the, or the driveway, whatever you've got, and then you sit out there and you think, man, I cannot wait to go inside and pour me a huge glass of lukewarm tea. <laughs> or, or maybe it's different. Maybe, maybe it's, if you're, if you're at my house and the first cold snap that happens in the year, which for us, you know, depends on, uh, uh, sometimes it falls in September, October, November, but that first cold snap, I don't have to ask Crystal what we're having for dinner because that first cold snap, almost without exception, we're going to have a big old pot of chili. And, and at our house, I may come home in the afternoon and we have like chickens and animals and stuff. So we got to go out there and take care of all the animals. And even this morning, I walked out uh, about, se- about seven o'clock or so and I had my cup of coffee in my hand. I was about to get in my truck and, and little Walker Lee, he's just seven, about to be eight. And he was out feeding the chickens and he said, wait, dad, wait. And I'm like, okay. So I was waiting on him to come over. I thought maybe he was just going to tell me bye or something. He goes, can I warm my hands up with your coffee cup? <laughs> 
I said, love you too, buddy. So I, I let him hold the coffee cup for a minute. He goes, ah, that's better. But an ice cold day, the first good cold snap, you got that chili waiting on the inside, and you're not thinking, woo-wee, I can't wait to get inside and have me a big old bowl of lukewarm chili. You see, lukewarm isn't good for anybody or anything. My Bible, I like King James Version because it's what I grew up memorizing. It uses the word lukewarm. Your Bible might say tepid or it might even say room temperature. And if I could define room temperature a little further, room temperature means you are the temperature of your surroundings and dictated by them. You are the product of your surroundings instead of your surroundings becoming the product of who you are in Christ. You living a life that is neither hot nor cold might seem safe, but it's one of the most dangerous things you could ever do. Because what happens is you're going to go to heaven if you accepted Jesus, but if you're living a lukewarm life, you're not on one side of the fence or the other in the way you walk, in the way you talk, in the way you act. Somebody that doesn't know Christ might not recognize a difference in you, and it might be too late for them because the Bible says nobody knows the day or hour when they're life's going to be called. Nobody knows. So a lukewarm life is the most dangerous thing you can do for your friends and family because nobody will know where you stand. You see, a lukewarm life, it's a perfect example of a Christian being a thermometer. A thermometer does nothing but tell you what's happening. A thermometer does nothing but tell you what the current condition is. When you were not called to be a reporter that just reports what's happening, no, when God puts you in His Son, Jesus Christ, He calls you not to just be a reporter, but to literally be a forecaster, to call those things which are not as though they were, to begin to speak into your situation, speak into your environment, speak into your family, speak over your job, and begin to be not just a, thermo- a thermometer, but literally a thermostat. When I walk in the room and there's a thermostat on the wall, I want to do one thing and one thing only. I want to put that sucker on about 65. Can I get a witness? You were never called to be a thermometer to just talk about, well, if it's 65 degrees in here, I'm right here. If it's 50 degrees in here, I'm right here. If it's 100 degrees in here, I'm right here. No, you weren't called to be contingent upon your conditions or environments. Your conditions and environments were called to be contingent upon you, the body of Jesus Christ. Number one, if you're taking notes. Faith is not always congruent with your environment. Faith is not always congruent with your environment. You may be around people, and, and we're not here to talk about anybody. We're here to talk about us. But you may be around people. You may have your family around people that are like a bunch of crabs. A bunch of crabs. If you go down to Galveston and you go where they bring those crabs in, you'll look. And they don't have, oftentimes, they don't have a lid over the big nets that they keep the crabs in. That's because they don't have to worry about all the crabs getting out because as soon as one's just about to crawl out, there's one down beneath him just pulling him back down. You can't be surrounded by crabs and try to act like you're going to soar with eagles. You got to make a decision. See, your faith is not always congruent with your environment. 
There has to be something that shifts in you. And then you've got to be, get this, you've got to be identifiable. Let me give you an example. When I was in junior high, I went to a place called Jasper Middle School. And we lived about, I don't know, two or three blocks from there. And, and it, was, it was a great place to grow up because I could walk to school and walk home. And I would go to school early if I could because before school, there was this huge probably, I don't know, well, when you're a kid, you don't know it's probably like this big, but it was huge when I was a kid, you know, this big field of red dirt. There was no grass on it. And we would play football until the bell went off to tell us to go to school. So we would get there early and we would play football. But the problem was you would get there and if you weren't there when you picked teams, it would be hard to realize whose team who was on. So you would have Billy standing here with the ball and he would say, I got first pick, okay. And then Johnny over here and Billy would pick this guy and Johnny would pick this guy. You just go right down the line, pick, pick, pick. You had the two teams. Then you would start playing football. And, and what would happen is, is you'd be playing, but sometimes there was so much confusion because there was no jersey identifying which team, whoever, uh, which team everybody was on. So if you were the quarterback, you would hike the ball and you would go back. And, and we, we, we weren't allowed to, we didn't really have enough people to block. And we didn't have pads and stuff. So we would play something and we would call it 10 Mississippi Rush. Does anybody have any idea what I'm talking about? Just wave at me. So for all of y'all who don't, what we would do is when the quarterback snapped the ball, the person who was trying to rush the quarterback or get him, tackle him, he would have to count to 10 Mississippi before he could rush the quarterback. So it would be hike, quarterback would come back, and the guy trying to get the quarterback, he'd be like, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. And if it was me and I was rushing the quarterback, he'd say hike, and I'd be like, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, five Mississippi. <laughs> and then the quarterback would get back, and he would try to throw the ball to the guy that was on his team. But sometimes, amongst all the confusion, you could be on the opposite team, and while the quarterback was under pressure, while he was trying not to get tackled, you could run up to the quarterback on the other team and go, hey, Billy, right here, and Billy might throw you the ball. You run for a touchdown the other way because there was nothing identifying whose team I was on. There's nothing that, that, that separated. There was, there was nothing that could cause me to be separate from the other guy. And every now and then, there would be just enough confusion that you could do something about that. You see, when Jesus came as a little bitty baby, nobody knew who he was, except a few people that God specifically told. But everybody who worked for the devil and hated God, they all wanted to kill him. So they were trying to kill all the baby boys born in the region. They were trying all these different things to try to get him executed before his time. But Jesus, nobody knew who he was. And John, John the Baptist was his cousin. He was born a little under a year before Jesus was born. And he, the Bible says, he was preparing a way for Jesus. And we called him John the Baptist for a real interesting reason. He baptized people. So I would be like uh, Brian the Handsome. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So John the Baptist is preparing a way uh, in the wilderness. The Bible says that he, he wore camel hair and he had this leather belt and he would eat uh, 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 locusts or, or like uh, grasshoppers and he would eat wild honey. And, and that's a perfect picture of how uh, Elijah was described dressing one time in the Old Testament. But, but he was a prophet and he was preparing the way uh, for Jesus and he would be baptizing people and he'd be baptizing people like, he'd be like, guys, you need to repent and be baptized. You need to repent. The kingdom of heaven is at 
hand. He's coming, guys. You guys need to get ready. And people would get baptized. Their whole life would get changed. And, and he would sit there. And then he would say things like this. He goes, guys, he goes, I'm not him, okay? But he's coming. He's coming. And, and, and you guys are listening to me. But I'm not even worthy of untying his shoes. I'm not even worthy of tying his shoes uh, where the, the rabbit goes around the tree and goes in the hole and then you pull them both, both the ears tight. I'm not even worthy of tying the man's shoes. And everybody's like, what is with this guy, John? It seems like he's got this passion and this fire that's unquenchable. And then one day, the Bible says that Jesus walks out on the beach and John stops what he's doing. And he looks and he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Only John knew it because John's mom knew it before he was born. But literally, Jesus walks up to him and says, John, I'm so glad what you're doing. He said, but I need you to baptize me. And John goes, brother, I can't baptize you. I need you to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, you see, John, you see yourself as this important. But I see you as this important. So many times in our life we have that feeling, oh God, I can't do that for the king. I can't do that for the kingdom. I've done too much in my life. I've missed the mark too many times. And what you would hear Jesus, if you could really tune in and hear that still small voice, is he would say, no, no, no. You think of yourself as this important and I think of yourself as this important. One nail per hand. You see, Jesus said to him, I need you to baptize me. And John goes, okay, I'll baptize you. And he goes and he he baptizes Jesus in the river. And I'm really glad Jesus didn't pull that cool trick of walking on water because that would have messed John up. Could you imagine Jesus being baptized and messing with John? John's trying to baptize him. And every time he hits the water, he's just like, smack, smack. He's like, come on, Jesus, stop it. I'm trying to bear your embarrassing me in front of my people. He puts Jesus under the water. He brings him up. Something happens. When he goes under the water and comes up, immediately he's identified. The Bible says that a, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, and can I just say this? The Holy Spirit didn't come down in the form of some angry pterodactyl. The Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove. Side note. If you're using the Holy Spirit to hurt people, you're using a pterodactyl version of what God shows up with as a dove. The Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. And then all of a sudden, Jesus' daddy, the father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, nor shadow of turning, calls out from heaven. And he says, behold, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. If you're a parent, it ought to be every day that you tell your children that they please you. You say, wait a minute. My kids don't please me. They did this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. Discipline, we're not throwing that out the window by any stretch, but let me just tell you something. There is a world that is going to tell them that their value is this big and they need mom and dad telling them their value is this big. Somebody give God a hand of praise in the house of God. The Spirit of the Lord comes down in the form of a dove. The Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my son. Number two, notes. Baptism identifies what team you're on. 
Baptism identifies what team you're on. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. One translation says, If you've been baptized, you are now clothed in Christ. The reason you being clothed in Christ is so critical is because when you go before the throne and make your request known unto God, you are not having access to the throne because you've gotten it right. You're having access to the throne because the King of Kings got it right. You're not having access to the Father because you did everything you were supposed to do. You have access to the Father because He did everything He was supposed to do. When you decide to be baptized in water, you have made the decision to put on the jersey of Jesus Christ and now when you're playing the game let me tell you something you stand out among the crowd but it also identifies what team you are on it is a public example of what has taken place privately on the inside of you it is something that goes beyond words and beyond measures that brings forth a new institution and a new era in your life whenever old things pass away all things become new everything begins to shift you go into the water the Bible says you are buried with him in his death but then the Bible says you are raised to walk in newness of life There's something about being water baptized. And number three, if you're taking notes, it's supernatural. Let me give you a good definition of supernatural. Supernatural means God's super, God's overwhelming gets in the middle of your natural. God's super, which can, uh, if 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 you know anything about cars, you can have a good motor and you can, you can be doing really good, but then you can bolt a supercharger on it. And now that same motor that was capable of doing something is now capable of doing it at a higher level because a, something super has been applied. The supernatural, and, and next week, don't miss next week. We're going to continue on this thought. I'm going to really itemize the supernatural things that happen when you're water baptized. But literally, if you know somebody that hasn't been water baptized or if you've never been water baptized, I encourage you, be here next week because it's going to be a very, very powerful time. We're going to baptize a bunch of people, but then also I'm going to explain exactly what I mean by the supernatural See, in the natural, you go under the water, but in the supernatural, you're buried with him in death. In the natural, you come out of the water, but in the supernatural, you're raised to walk in newness of life. In the natural, you're getting wet, but in the supernatural, you're getting clothed in Christ. In the natural, you're getting cleaned up, but in the supernatural, you're getting washed white as snow. In the natural, you're going underwater and you've got to hold your breath, but in the supernatural, you come out only to breathe the breath of God once again. See, there's things that are happening. When the super hits our natural. But when you get baptized, it's like putting on the jersey of Christ. On that schoolyard, we'd be playing football. And all confusion would have been lifted if I had known whose team I was on. But here's the thing. And bump your neighbor and say, don't be scared. Come on, tell them, don't be scared. You also identify yourself to your adversary. Being a Christian is not tiptoeing through the tulips. The Bible says the kingdom suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. Now, we also don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So if you thought Christianity was some kind of an MMA event, it's not in the natural, but, but in the supernatural, it's that times a million. 
in the supernaturals that times a million. Three supernatural things that happened to Jesus whenever he got baptized. Number one, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit moved. When you get water baptized, you can expect the Holy Spirit to move in your life. Number two, the Father spoke to the Son. When you get water baptized, you can expect one of the things to happen is that water is going to unclog your ears and you're going to be able to hear that still small voice that maybe you used to hear as a child, but now you're going to get back to hearing because when the super hits your natural, now you can tap into the right station and you can hear the voice of God in your life. Number three, immediately the Bible says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil. When you get water baptized, now the enemy goes, hey, that's a real Jesus freak. Hey, that person's really all in. Hey, in front of their friends and family, they're saying they really love Jesus. Hey, in front of God and everybody else, you've made the declaration, you've put on Christ and in the spirit. You see, the devil didn't know who Jesus was until Jesus got baptized. But as soon as he got baptized, now all of a sudden his ministry was activated. The enemy knew who he was. The people knew who he was. Jesus always knew who he was. But while he was tempted, he didn't have to fight the devil with lightning bolts and laser beams out of his eyeballs. Eyeballs. Every time the devil came to him, the only thing he said to him, he said, well, you should do this and you should do that. And Jesus, in my vernacular, just said like that. Well, that's interesting, devil. But my Bible says that the... You see what I'm saying? We're not in a world where we've got to figure out how to reinvent the wheel when it comes to defeating the enemy. We just got to use what God used. If Jesus himself used the Scripture... To beat the devil. How much more should we be using the scripture to beat the devil? Somebody give God a big hand of praise. You say, I don't know the scripture. Well, let me tell you something. You come to this church, you're going to know the scripture. Because we're going to teach it on Sunday and Wednesday. Our first touch team's constantly in the Bible. Our life groups are constantly in the Bible. You come to this church, we're going to teach you. But if all you know is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, literally, you know enough to send the devil running seven ways, seven days a week. It's different when you live for God. When you decide. That you're going all in for God. When you decide that you're going to really take that next step. Your faith is not always congruent with your environment. Sometimes your faith changes long before your environment changes. Sometimes you've got to speak it into existence. God said, let there be light. And there was light. He didn't say, let there be light, I hope. We got to speak things into existence in our life. The other thing is, you've got to put on the jersey of Christ. You've got to identify with the team. Being water baptized, it marks you. It marks you as I'm one of them. It's a supernatural event. I can't wait till next week. I'm going to share some of the things. When you go in the water, some of the stuff's going to stay in the water. Some of the stuff you've been carrying around. There's a young man we baptized here not too long ago. And, and he said, man, I didn't even know it. He said, but I've always been depressed. He said, I got water baptized. It was two weeks before I realized it. I hadn't been depressed since I got baptized. Supernatural things take place when you follow the precepts of God. Number four, baptism simply means I'm all in. It means I'm all in. I'm telling myself. 
I'm telling my flesh. I'm telling my friends and my family. I'm telling every, I'm telling the enemy of God. I'm telling my adversary, the devil. I'm all in. Do what you will. I'm all in. You see, your flesh, we just finished this 21-day fast, glory to the Lamb of God. <laughs> but your flesh, it's never going to tell you something that you should do. Let me tell you what my flesh says to me, especially when I'm fasting. You should eat a taco. I don't want a taco. And my flesh is like, you're lying. I'm like, I know. <laughs> You should eat five tacos. Now you're talking. <laughs> but what happens is when you put your flesh in the water, the thing about going in the water, and, and I have kids, and they all love to swim, and children are interesting because they don't care how cold the water is. They just want to swim. So you can, you can go, and you can, they can be swimming all around. Hey, guys, is the water cold? And they'll be like, no, it's perfect. And you go stick your foot in there and be like, you are dishonest. <laughs> but you stick your foot in, and it's tolerable. You can even sit on the side and dangle your feet in the water, and it's tolerable. But the minute you decide to go, like, you could even, look, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you're coming down the stairs of the pool, you're like, Okay, 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 and as soon as you cross about the belly button, we're at a different level of experience. But then even putting your head underwater, it's like a whole other thing. The, the, The thing is about being water baptized is all of you gets immersed. You're saying, I'm all in. So you can stick a toe in and it doesn't even mess up your clothes. But if you want to get all in with God, you, the reason water baptism is so important is because when you're underwater, you are completely immersed. There's nothing else. You, there, you are completely wet. You can spray somebody with a water hose and maybe you can get them all wet. But you put them underwater for like 0.0 seconds. They are wet top to bottom, uh, head to heel. Completely. And when you get in that water, even in the natural... If it's hot, maybe you feel those little pins all around you. Ah, it's hot. Oh, I got to get out of this hot tub. Or you get in the water and it's cold and you're like, it's so cold. It's affecting you. The minute you get immersed, it affects you. When you get baptized in water, it affects you in the best way you could ever imagine. And sometimes in ways that are far beyond anything you've ever asked or thought. Changes your life. If you've never been water baptized, I encourage you, before you leave today, you can stop by the tent. Somebody will help you fill out a card. We'll get you all the information. We're going to have a great baptism service right here next Sunday at both our 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock services. If you're going to get water baptized, bring all your friends and family. There is nothing more powerful than the testimony of saying, no, for real, I'm all in. Or maybe you're like me. When I was a boy, I was baptized. It was my decision. Nobody forced me into it. I was baptized, but somewhere around 18 years old, I had a complete resurgence with God. My life before looked like this, spiritually. Something happened. The Lord touched me. And I said, man, I really want to make a new declaration. And I was baptized again. 
And ever since then, I'm not saying my life's been roses, but my spiritual life hasn't looked like I wasn't falling off the wagon and getting back on, falling off the wagon. Why? Not because I got wet, because something super hit the natural event of water baptism, and now I've got the jersey of Christ on, and I can remind myself, I can remind the devil, when he starts messing with me, I say, you can mess with me all you want, but before this thing is over, you're going to repay back sevenfold everything you steal from me. You get a little symptom on your body. <clears throat> you, start, you start coughing or, or maybe your knee's acting up or, or, or God forbid, even a worse report comes from the doctor. You sit there, you go, no, nope, that's not for me. I can't picture Jesus being sick. Therefore, if I'm clothed in Christ and I'm clothed in Him, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I'm not allowed to be sick. Are, are you saying you've never been sick? I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying legally the devil has no right to put sickness on my body because he can't put it on Jesus' body and I am enveloped in who he is. When you decide to be baptized in water, when you decide to go all in, now all of a sudden, you go to a place of total immersion in who he is. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you'd like more information about Pastor Brian or New Heights Church, visit newheightschurch.info and be sure to follow Pastor Brian on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, thank you so much for liking and sharing.